0: Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and
1: Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And by the way, I'm Kirk. And, well, I'm Eric. (laughs) Uh, The podcast is generously sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation.
0: We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena a little more accessible to us all.
1: You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at org.
0: Now let's get to the show.
1: So here we are again, Eric. Um, Another great conversation. Why don't you tell us what we're about to listen to?
0: Well, I sat down with Amrit Dillon, who works for the Race Card Project at the Aspen Institute, and she works with Michelle Norris. We—I don't know—all good NPR listeners remember Michelle Norris, who was a host of, I think, All Things Considered, but one of the, one of the biggies. And they are working on this project in which they enlist people from anywhere to tell their stories in six words. And the six-word story—it comes from. I, I think it originated with with Hemingway. We talked about this in in the conversation. Hem, Hemingway um, noted a something that he saw in a newspaper it was a newspaper classified ad. Oh, and now I'm going to forget it, but it was like baby shoes for sale, never worn, something something like that. So, like all of a sudden, you've got this story in your head, and it's really sad. And and it, this became the beginning of a project to engage people to talk about race using six words. And as Amrit talks about, people they it, it's called the race card project, but p- people are really attempting to explain their condition in life. People talking about being a vet or being um you know obviously talking about race, but gender is also a big deal. And so it it has been this opportunity for people to tell their story in a very simplified context, but that has produced a lot of really meaningful really meaningful conversations. And also, by the way, I should point out that halfway through our conversation, we hear this voice piping in from the background. And I never got a chance to acknowledge that that was Melissa Baer, who is Amrit Dillon's uh, partner and colleague on this project. So she she was like the, the un- unannounced co-guest chiming in from the background. So that's, that's Melissa that you hear in the background.
1: Awesome. Well, Eric Brown with Amrit Dillon and Melissa Baer uh, here on Let's Hear It. So I can't wait to listen, Eric. We'll talk after.
0: I'm Dylan, thank you so much for uh, for talking with me today. We're so we're here at the Communications Network, start two, there, 2018 conference. And actually, I just maybe I would start by asking you um, what that experience is like for you. Have, have you been here before? I have been here before. This okay. is, I think, we were talking
2: about this. This might be my sixth or seventh off and on. Um, I started. I'm in nonprofit communications, and so back in the day, in Bruce Trachtenberg's day, um, I found the organization and said, "I'm a shop of one." and could use some input and they graciously let me come. I think that was Boston. And ah. so I've been popping in and out mostly consistently um, for a number of years. So yeah, I'm not sure what number this is, but it's been great. We've been working with Sean and his team in DC a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and getting more and more involved. Michelle Noor spoke last year and did a keynote, and so we are allowed to do two sessions this year of our new tool, and we're uh, co-editing the uh, Change Agent. Yeah. So that's coming out hopefully November, so we've
0: been pretty involved and excited, excited to be here, so it's been great so far. That's great. I'm going to ask you about the about Change Agent okay. soon. Okay, got it. But first, just tell me about yourself. How did you end up? What, why, why are you sitting here right now? What? I'll do my. Long Explain yourself. <laughs> my long story short like, long time
2: comms person, journalism major, went back out a master's in social work, did community development, poverty work, all comms related in DC for years. Um, stuff happened about two years ago. The country started to get a little bit more divided. We had a new administration. Really? I had, I had no idea. That's something, you know. I we read are the paper more. A 501c3, nonpartisan. <laughs> Things have been shaken up. Um, And I got a call from Melissa Bear and Michelle Norris, and they said, hey, come talk to us. Like, we're starting this program at the Aspen Institute. You work in the nonprofit sector. We'd love to get your take on this. And the rest is history. So, Okay, so tell me the – tell tell us – Talk about the the project that you're working on. Absolutely. So the Race Car Project was started by NPR's All Things considered Michelle Norris while she was on air in about 2010. um, The idea was to capture six-word stories about race and identity. Tell me how you would distill your thoughts on race and identity about who you think you are in six words. Um, And people responded. They started sending Michelle Norris all of these stories. The Race Car Project was born. Today we're at the Aspen Institute and we develop programming where we can create spaces to bring together to get better understanding about one another, the lives that they all live, using this incredible archive from the Race Car Project, 250,000-plus uh, stories from all 50 states, 90-plus countries, um, telling us uh, what people think um, about themselves, about each other, about their lives, about how they look, how they feel, their religion, their sex, their gender identity. Um, and so we use those to bring people together and talk
0: through other people's stories. Talking about race is really tricky really (laughs) Uh, that's what they tell me um and yet it seems that you guys have had are you tapping into something or is it there are just so many people out there that the 250,000 people who responded to your query uh, you know is not that big a deal or is or is this a way to talk about race that is that allows people to get outside of these traditional types of conversations that people have I think inherently, we all want to talk about ourselves, um, who we are. And
2: it's called the Race Card Project. And sometimes Michelle says she's not sure she would name that today. She wanted to sort of flip that whole idea of the race card on its head. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is about identity. And for lots and lots of people, that is race or skin color. But for lots and lots of people, that's a number of other identifiers. Um, So I think... Once you get past the name sometimes, um, and most people seem to see through it because the cards that we get are, you know, there's folks talking about their veteran status, the language they speak, being a redhead, um, not having sat down and talked to us about it. They've just sent that in on their own to the website, uh, which is the RacecardProject.com. So I think that it's just something that we want to do naturally. Um, I don't think it's a one-off. We weren't sure. She wasn't sure at first. You know, it was an NPR audience. Is that why we're getting these? Um, it's not an NPR audience anymore. Um, and it's 10 years later. They don't stop. We find iterations of this happening. There was a church in Las Vegas. Um, some, I think it was a Unitarian church that I just saw tagged us on Facebook. They did their own version of this. Um, not. We don't encourage unsanctioned, you know, virgins. But we <laughs> <laughs> We're never, you know, if people want to. The lawyers are not going to, like, you know, sue the Unitarian we, we, Church. We appreciate we appreciate the credit. I, I do always appreciate the credit then the mention. But yeah, it's just the idea that people do. So people want to talk about this stuff, mm-hmm. they do want to share. And I, mean, I think it does create connection points. So. Yeah, what drew you to it? It really, for me, it was after years and years of spending time. Working on the policy level, in a comms role, but working on policy, doing the things where things are local, then going to the national level, like, all right, we're going to make a difference on institutional structural racism. Like, I understand why the child welfare system, what the numbers mean, why. And the root of all of that tends to be sort of the structural, but nothing's moving, nothing was changing. So that's 18, 20 years doing that work with people much smarter than I who are pushing the needle, coming up with research, working on the Hill and nothing's changing. So what's the problem? Is the problem that we just don't understand? Like, does it mean that policymaker, his staff person, my neighbor, don't actually understand why we should have, let's say, preschool for all, or why we need to make sure that every child has a meal, or why we need affordable housing, right? So there's race implications, there's understanding other neighborhood socioeconomics, like gender, familial status, single moms. So all of that stuff is what the Race car Project Project has been doing and so for me, it was kind of a no-brainer and and a change. It's like, let's try it from another angle. So we're all still spinning our wheels and people do amazing work on the other end, but we're not making the type of progress. So maybe you should start on the human level.
0: And and any good examples of how that's Whether or how you think you're breaking through or not, why not? A lot of it's anecdotal. Um, We are a
2: startup. Um, Please feel free to Google and email us if you have any funds to support the program. (laughs) Um, But we're working really hard, and the people that we've interacted with, I mean, it's really anecdotal. I mentioned um, earlier today when you and I were in a session that folks sometimes cry. Like, it, it, it touches them deeply. And to be able to do something that you believe in and that you think it's just about being a good person and and understanding and respecting people. I think we're all curious by nature um, and to facilitate that and watch how that touches people who maybe haven't been heard or haven't found someone to relate to is really great. And just even personally, like I have... a subset of childhood friends that don't think like me. We don't share the same beliefs, but we've grown up together. And by default, these are these people you've known for 40 plus years and they're intrigued by this. You know, I had a friend sitting on the beach once after I told him pretty conservative. Um, I go, what are you doing? He's like thinking of my six words, (laughs) you know, never before has anyone paid that much attention to the work that I do, you know, in that social circle. So I, It's it's anecdotal, but I think we're moving. You know, we're we're trying to collect demographics and see how this changes how people think um, or talk about race. And so, again, with um, in increased capacity and resources, we're hoping we'll be able to turn something out down the road. But for now, we're happy if one person, two people, three people, a room full of people have a little bit of an epiphany or have a little bit of a change of heart and how they like want to see or listen um, to folks when they go out there.
0: Like that's important to us. I, you know, I love the six words. I love the six words because, A, everyone can do it. Right. Easy. 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 I can come up with six words. There's a lot of words in the English language I can probably arrange what are, your, what, are your, what were your six words? Um, well, I did one today, which was, what does it say? It's up on the wall. Um, how to talk without the baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. I, I, I feel amazingly inarticulate uh, when talking about identity, or race, Mm -hmm. or any of these conversations. I feel they're all loaded up with baggage, whether people have to come in and either confess or apologize, or people have to come in and clear the space for their voice. I don't know how to do that. But in terms of identity, we can do uh, it. I sometimes... Um, you know, I make jokes, but like I'm a Mets fan first, right? And right. everything else comes. To right. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, but I haven't come. But this this six word I think the original six word one was um, was Hemingway's, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. This is Hemingway.
2: Is it, this is all out of born out of his genius? Um, and different people have taken this idea of a six word story and interpreted it different ways. And it's used, and it's a powerful exercise, no matter how you apply it. But I think the thought Michelle had was yes, like you said, right? Like. We're talking about race and identity. Like people don't necessarily want to, don't know how to, aren't sure how to start it. So let's start simple, like low hanging fruit, make it accessible. Um, And I think that's part of the success of this. Like, as communications folks, the idea of something so simple, you know, it's simple, like right. The the simplicity means everyone can understand it, everyone can access it, and that's what we want. That's... So what was that?
0: It was baby carriage for sale, never used? Never used, something like for that. Or baby now, shoes, baby
2: shoes.
0: For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Never worn. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, you also get to fill in the story. Yeah. And I, I hear that. It always makes me cry. Maybe that's why people cry so much when, uh, when they do this. What Are there some that blew you away? Um, that you just
2: will never look, forget? There's one that blows every room away that we do, and I mentioned it, I think, to a group earlier. Um, black babies cost less to adopt. Ugh. Stop's a room. It's true. If you look at, of course, babies aren't for sale, and there's a lot of research behind that, and the team went back and looked. But if you kind of get into that, but this is, I mean, it makes people stop and think. There's a number of them. Um, i found, personally, same thing. The first thing I would identify is like female, athlete, agnostic, and... You know, we talk a little bit about that intersectionality in the next issue of Change Agent, but the last thing I'm going to say is I'm an Indian woman. Like, India, that it's going to be so far down the list. Um, so I'm always really intrigued by the things I've discovered about myself, just in terms of language. You've got one woman who talks about her parents wanted her, you know, first generation to be American, so they didn't teach her Spanish. Mm. She's the only one that can't talk to her grandmother out of her cousins, and she was just passed up for a job because they wanted someone who' was bilingual. She's a Hispanic, Latina, and she can't speak Spanish, and she's at a complete disadvantage. But the not talking to your grandmother, same thing. I grew up, I don't speak the native language like of my parents. My mom speaks five languages. So my grandmother, we can communicate. They all speak English. But you miss idioms. You miss feelings. You can't... I talk really fast. As This will probably translate. You know, it doesn't come across like that. There's things like that. It's thinking about... Just even thinking about your identity. So when people say things... Um, another story is... You know, where are you from? Or where are you really from? And when you say that to a room... I mean, people that you wouldn't think of raise their hands because everyone looks a little bit different to everybody else. And that's something I've heard my whole life. Like it was a big joke to just say, oh, Virginia instead of Maryland when, you know, pretends that I, oh, that's what you mean. I I know what you mean. I know where you're asking. Like, where are my parents from? But the fact that it's so universal. So there's always some that come through that are, you know, I like the funny ones. Um, Michelle and my coworker, Melissa, love the happy ones. You know, Michelle says she dips into the inbox when she's having a bad day just to make herself feel like there's, restore some faith, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not all sad um, I, the funny ones I get because it's like the truth that rawness of right and it, you just sort of all chuckle and connect over it
0: All right, can you drop a funny one on me oh can you can we drop a
2: funny one with a funny one I'm not, right, I'm gonna you, open let's see I'm I'm not, I'm take not as good as I'm not as good as the rest of them you don't have them tattooed. Am I. No. You I have I have quite a few tattoos. I have not committed I I've not committed to
0: this that come on. I mean, this is perfect. How could you not have a six word tattoo?
2: I do like we were saying like you can't say that anymore, grandma is one that Melissa has <laughs> in I find that hysterical because you can just picture of him being like, <gasps> you know, someone drops the, the, the wrong word, the wrong phrase, you know, of a different generation and you're just like, Eek. Um I think I shared with you all earlier, like, mine's like, no, I don't like spicy food. Right. Um, I, I don't know where the closest Indian restaurant is. Eric can tell you. Um, <laughs> and I
0: don't like salsa. There's, there's three Indian restaurants. Yeah, I rest- like figured. Two feet of here. <laughs> there's, there's one that can be funny, and it can also be trigger a lot of emotion. And we get we get it in many different iterations. It's, no, I'm not the nanny. No, I'm not the nanny. And it happens a lot with, with families where they think it's funny. Like, my husband says, no, she's not the nanny, or I'm not the nanny, but I'm I'm the mother. Yeah. So why are you asking me this? I have a colleague who's Asian, uh, Asian-American, his family is from China, and uh, he he dresses very well so that he doesn't, is not, um, you know, confused for the person who delivers food. Yep.
2: Oh, there's a bunch like that, like, you know, been confused for the help. Like, no, I'm not the handyman. Um, wow, I didn't know you were so articulate or, like, I'm tired of shocking people because I'm smart. Like, you know, or no, I, I'm not. We've got, I, There was one that I read that I thought was great. It was from, like, a young... Asian man and was like all I know is video like or not even video it was something implying I'm not going to med school I'm not the genius in the family like I don't do great at math like I'm just a kid and like
0: I'm really bad at all that stuff people think I'm great at do you think we're getting I mean this is an either a way to express some of these powerful feelings in emotional terms and in humor and every other way do you think we're getting any better at having conversations about race I think we're having more of them. I
2: don't know that they're better. Something something seems to have sparked, um, and I don't know if it's like you know you hear the term white lash. Like we've heard people talk about that after. Glass administration, we have social media and just like a plethora of tools for people to voice opinions in every different medium. So I don't know if it was always there. You know, lots of people argue it was always there and now we're talking. So, I mean, I would take the glass half full version of we're having more conversations about them. I don't know if they're more productive. So as opposed to back in the day where you just didn't say anything, you didn't look at the neighbors, you didn't say anything, you just kind of kept it to yourself. I think we're talking about things more. I just don't know if it's in the most productive way yet. But I think it's, I think that's progress, right? Like that we're acknowledging it, hate, good, bad, um, not condoning hate speech, but if people then are willing to engage and listen and you know where someone really stands, like, you know, maybe it's the right step in the right direction. How how do you measure success? (laughs) Crying. I joked earlier (laughs) for in a session. I've been told not to say that anymore because that's insensitive. Um, and I'm not, I'm half kidding. I'm not, but like, I think metrics are important. Um, I think one, if people, again, part some of it is really like qualitative is one, are we still getting stories? Do they continue to come in, which they do when we do sessions where we have people go through and talk about this? Are they actually talking? You know when you walk into a room who's gonna, who's got their arms crossed, particularly if it's not a voluntary self-select group, who doesn't want to be there, who thinks that they can't say anything, you know, who wants to say a lot is going to say. If everyone shares, if everyone says something, if you have a breakthrough, we've done some sessions where folks have stood up, and the entire room has like gotten up to hug them, like literally gotten up to hug the person. Um, so those are types of things that, again, qualitatively, anecdotally, are really successful. Um, I think when people start to say that, like, yes, these are difficult conversations, when we ask them quantitatively, you know, and measure these surveys, but then say this made it easier. I think differently now about having these discussions. I think for us, that's the first step for success. Like, are people opening up and like gaining a little empathy? Um, Still so working on figuring out how we measure this. Like, what's the scale? But um, we think it's important. You see it more and more in the business. You know, triple bottom line. This is we think might be that third, fourth thing that people need to add to it. Like that idea of empathy and understanding mm-hmm. to make everything else.
0: Just get out your empathy meter. Yeah. If you know I can find one,
2: well, I have been... We're very close to Silicon Valley. I'm sure one we of these people... Nobody... If anybody's going to try to take that idea, please contact us
0: first yep. because we are working on the details <laughs> of it. We'd well, like to partner with you. <laughs> although if you watch this TV show Silicon Valley, um, they might not do a good job at making the empathy meter... Right. They seem to be, a, you know, well, stereotypes are ju- is well, a little now, thin on empathy. Well, now down there. are
2: we judging them? Like, do they need it more? Or are we not being empathetic enough to like what they're going through and the the, the weird identities that they're facing? Whoa, I mean, that, just-
0: that just hurt my head to think of that. <laughs> well, um, what good question did I? Was I not smart enough to ask you? What-
2: no, I thought you asked. <laughs> this was a great conversation. I'm like, I'm thinking you sat through this. Like, what do you think? What do you think we could do differently?
0: How do you think people could? Ben or what should we be doing? Oh, that's mean to, to turn that around on me. Um, I mean, it's it's very powerful. The trick is, I mean, obviously the trick is to uh, get people to want to do it or to get people engaged in these kinds of conversations who, who are not the type of people who would have them. As you say, this was uh, an opt-in experience today. Right. So everybody came here primed, ready to talk about, you know, the race card project, and and talking about and understanding that there was going to be a conversation about race that might not be, you know, that's hard, right? Or could be hard, right? But most people walking down the street are not ready for that, right. or don't do it. And how do you trick people or engage people in a way right. to have the the people who need it most are often the people who are most like less right. least likely to do that. So you know, I. I <laughs> I wish you luck best of
2: luck with that <laughs> well we keep joking like the people that are the most woke are the ones that need this the most you know I mean we've talked to folks that say we've already got you know a plan in place for institutional um, racism and structural racism and we're, we're tackling this and we're an inclusive workplace and we're an anti-racist I'm like yeah but like does the person that works in that room talk to the person that works in that room like do they even get each other like you think you're woke but
0: yeah.
2: do you get it like is it so yeah you're right we're not we've got a lot of work to do but I we really do believe that people want this, that on a human level, it's what makes this country amazing. It's make this world... I mean, the diversity is what creates the innovation. It's what spurs greatness. And so, I think people want it. It's just finding right that way in. Well, can you just give us the information one more time? Sure. So, if uh, we are the bridge at the Aspen Institute. It is powered by the Race Card Project. Um, you can Google at the Aspen Institute or com. Um, social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram and michelle norris on twitter um track us down look us up nothing else spend a couple minutes in the um, archives of the racecarproject.com search look at faces scroll the wall um we think you'll find something that'll make you smile make you laugh make you cry and if it makes you think then we've done our job for the day well
0: thank you i'm dylan of the aspen institute thanks so much thank for your time you, thank you you for having me you're
1: welcome take care Uh, so there you have it, Amrit Dillon. Eric, oh my gosh, I've never met Amrit, but I'm so glad I got a chance to listen to that conversation. Um, so, you know, we will you give us a little backstory, Anne Amrit? I mean, we heard a little bit from her, but I'm just kind of curious about your process for selecting her to be part of this series because I'm so glad. It's like I want to meet her now. I want to like call her and just basically have a conversation and hear about everything she's doing is great
0: she's great, you know it's interesting because these six word stories are have been bopping around out there for quite some time and I remember having a book of of these six word stories that had been compiled by somebody uh, but she took it I think to the next level and she's working with Michelle Norris who used to be at NPR yeah and she was at the communication this is Emirat uh, was at the communications network and I just thought that the simplicity of storytelling when you have to take a variety of complex ideas or deeply felt emotions and condense them into six words was such a a wonderful exercise in storytelling that I wanted to I wanted to speak to her about it and as you as you heard there are so many emotions that these kinds of stories kick off because we fill in the blanks. And I just thought that given that we are talking about communications and and messaging and storytelling and all that other stuff, that this would be a great conversation to have, particularly as we're kicking off this, this podcast series, but a great conversation to have about h- how do we communicate in ways that are um, authentic and emotional and evocative. And those stories that she tells get at that. And not only that, but she's dealing with the question of race, which is one of the more uncomfortable topics, particularly now in American society.
1: And then the bridge immediately to how that becomes fundamentally about identity and how we identify ourselves and just the space, the 250,000 people already having participated in this over these years. It's just what an exercise, Um, you know, you guys are talking about these six word stories and I'm thinking to myself how many times are we confronted with the avalanche of words an avalanche of pictures <laughs> and the 50 in the you know 100 pages like it's just not there's not enough space in the world to get it all down and yet here you have it you put it into six words and and everything opens up the whole realm of the possible opens up and um it strikes me right it's not about the words themselves Right, it's about the process, or how, well, how would you even describe that? But but it's the six. It's the magic of just the preciousness, the efficiency. That's what, as you guys were talking about it, I was just like, wow. This whole process itself is just golden. It's just magic.
0: Yeah, well, it it let's just say it requires a discipline. You're not allowed to break the rules, and it makes you focus. If it was seven or eight or sometimes ten, all of a sudden you kind of lose the specificity of it. So I think there's something magical about these six having to boil it down to six that stimulates creativity. And th- I don't know, there's just such an elegance about it. It's a, it's kind of like, I guess, why haiku has managed to endure <laughs> throughout the centuries.
1: That's what I found myself thinking afterwards. I'm like, this is not haiku. This is six words. It's not haiku. Um, <laughs> haiku, but, am- but shorter. At minute five Amrit starts getting into kind of her background with, um, you know, institutional structural racism and just how that was such an issue area that, you know, she's just worked in all the dimensions and all the different pieces that come together as these stories come together. The thing that struck me, too, is that this is, you know, this is this truism in communications. It's not about what's said. It's about what gets heard, you know, and you were asking about impact and how do you measure impact? Effectiveness. And it struck me, I was thinking, does the fact that this program exists, period, isn't that the measure of effectiveness? You know, because I was thinking, like, in a world that's so noisy we can't even hear each other, does the fact that there's a systematic and programmatic effort aimed at pre- almost creating, it struck me, it's almost like they're creating a new commons, like a new space where everybody gets heard, everybody gets invited, and it's a platform that allows you to just be unencumbered seen in that space isn't that enough (laughs) you know like like is that in and of itself such a radically cool and inclusive notion that that almost is the measure of effectiveness Uh, period that they that they can exist that they make the the, they they help foster these these connection points as she put it
0: that's a great question i i i I, i'm thinking kind of Hmm. because i I well I don't know if I've become just such a stickler or a hard ass for how do you know whether this thing is working? Right. And you can't always. I know that. I get it. Uh, the The point is perhaps it's the people, the types of people who are engaging in these conversations or monologues or offer opportunities for expression. Maybe that's something important, whether you are getting people from different parts of the political spectrum or race or Other ways of identifying or ways that we separate ourselves from each other. I'm a firm believer that we just have to figure out a way to communicate across the divides these days. I mean, this is the moment, right? And that, you, if you were to say, "Okay, we got lots of different types of people who are ex, who are kind of who need the opportunity to um, express themselves," that's a really good start. I would love to now see how that starts to help us heal or process in in meaningful ways. I, I still want to see that. And this is the first step, of course, in getting to that. But, boy, you know, I don't know. I really want to see some good thing happen that I can point to just for my own, you know, benefit, my own sense of accomplishment.
1: I don't think that idea you got into around an empathy meter. I actually do hope somebody from Silicon Valley hears this and calls (laughs) Amrit and says, let's do that. You know, because especially, you know, we're having this conversation in the backdrop of just, you know, yet more horrific tragedy and you get to pick your version of which right because it's happening at so many levels now be it in the natural environment or you know what's happening with some of the other violence that we're seeing and i think this notion of getting overwhelmed even by the scale of tragedy you know this is the other thing is communicators and we just communicate to the problem we know can happen we just overwhelm people and they start disconnecting from us you know because people have yeah. you know issues they're trying to re- deal with in their own lives and so just that notion of how we unlock deeper empathy there there's got to be some neuroscience around the the power of that that um is actually worth reflecting on you know because i have brown the
0: inventor of the empathy can opener
1: it's not going to be kirk Brown. it's going to be so here i want to give you one last uh homework assignment because you started here in the conversation (laughs) and then we didn't get there change agent you didn't ask me about change agent you didn't come back to change agent (laughs)
0: So what I will say is that the next uh, um, edition of Change Agent, which is the semi-regular journal of the communications network, is edited by Michelle Norris, mm. and it the conversation is about – or the topic is about race. So I forgot to – I forgot to ask her that. I'm I'm a terrible, terrible interviewer.
1: Well, I'm glad we got a chance to come back to because I found myself hanging on waiting for the conversation. It was (laughs) was great. I was waiting for change to come back. And then we didn't we didn't get there. So um. that's what this is. This is the mop up. You did the mop up of the interview for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not going to critique our guests, but we may critique the host. There's a possible. I I think it's a great idea. (laughs) Um, although I, it's not like
0: I get any critique uh, in my in my personal <laughs> exactly,
1: life, exactly,
0: exactly. There's nobody around me helping to b- point out how I might improve myself as a human being. That does not exist. Yeah. So I need it from you, Kurt. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's I'm happy to provide that. Yeah, thank but man, you. What a treat. I mean, I, I would just say that to, to know that there are those among us that are just working on these initiatives that are fundamentally about you're here, you belong here, and we're listening. You know, I was thinking, yeah, we've got that. Maybe you could just get to show up because you're a person in the world. You get to show up for sports or you get to show up for some faith activity or you get to show up, for, you know, some other. But here's a here's a programmatic forum aimed at just giving you a platform to say, I'm here and I count and I'm going to be heard. And um, that's wow. What a treat. And, what yeah, a and anybody and it, can do it. It's, right. There's
0: no the cause. The barrier to entry is zero,
1: which is neat. Right. It's just brilliant. Well, I can't wait to see what's ahead. I will be reading the change agent episode that Michelle Norris uh, provides for all <laughs> we'll of us.
0: We can get... Somebody to talk about change agent. <laughs> He's intransigent. I can't, I can't get him to open up. Oh, wait, I have to ask the question.
1: Oops. And uh, again, Amrit Dillon, what a treat. And at the Aspen Institute, um, the race card project, uh, it just it, what, what an exciting interview to have heard. So thank you, Eric, for doing that. Well, that was fun. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show, and that includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator, Sarah Morgan, our tireless social and digital media maven,
0: John L.E., our tuneful and inspiring composer of the theme music. Ben
1: Rockwood, our brilliant partner behind the production curtain.
0: The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for supporting this work and for a host of other important initiatives in the world, particularly around communications
1: and journalism. We certainly thank our guests and, of course, all of you. And thank you, Mr. Brown. Well, no, no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Until next time. Let's hear it.